So when I think about it from the standpoint of L&D like a business, in particular, when you're starting something from scratch, initially, it's what's the problem that you're trying to solve. All right. So in this episode, we have the Director of Enterprise Learning and Development over at Pinegate Renewables. Hey, Emily, why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about your journey through learning and development and how you got to where you are now? Typical to many other people who who end up in learning and development, it was definitely, for me, not a straight journey. Um, I started in public education in New York City, inner city teaching, flat out. Um, got a master's degree in organizational leadership, knew that I wanted to have impact beyond the four walls of my classroom, and quickly found myself as an assistant principal of a super underperforming elementary school in Harlem, where we then turned the school from a D school to an A school in the span of six years. And so that was my sort of foray into professional development boots on the ground, change management and coaching of people and growing people and really thinking about what does that look like? And then what are the systems and the structures that one would need to have in place in order to make that duplicable and scalable and actually impact change? Went from there on to becoming a principal. Um, So again, school administration, different school, different state over the span of seven years. And that was where I learned some of operational efficiencies and thinking about things from more of a business standpoint. We had massive budget cuts. I had to reorg schedules and we lost 30% of our staff and also ushered in the era of data and accountability and high stakes testing into this school. Left there um, after seven years because I was courted. And so in fact, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina I was in the nonprofit leadership space for three years. The organization folded. And when I came to figure out what I wanted to do next, what I had loved about all of the things that I had done was the coaching and consulting that I did with organizational and school leaders. And so I took all of that together and ended up joining a boutique management consulting firm here in Charlotte as an organizational leadership consultant. They then brought me on internally to build the carve out of their human capital practice and consulting, which was solutions, all of which led me to connect with Pinegate Renewables. Initially from a biz dev capacity, realistically, I engaged with the organization, leveraged my network, sold consulting services to Pinegate and got myself this job to, to build learning and development at Pinegate all in the same fell swoop. Very common. Um, <laughs> very common. Yeah. It, um, it is. So as a director of learning and development, <laughs> what is it that you're responsible for? You know, when I joined Pinegate, there was an obvious need. And there was a need to say, we need to develop our people. We had a rapidly growing organization that had gone, had scaled by 300% over the past three years before I joined or two years before I joined. And so you had many people who were outstanding individual contributors who needed to then level up and learn how to manage others. And we had this super high demand in this growing industry with a minimal talent pool because the industry isn't old enough 
to have the depth of the verticality of the experience of the people that we need. And so I came on board initially to build out the strategic vision and implement what would become learning and development and launch a recent college graduate program within the first four months that I was there because there were these 13 recent college graduates who were going to be arriving and we needed to have something to do with them because we had committed to them a two-year cohort program. But it became, here's what I'm responsible for, company and industry. Who are we? What do we do? And what's the sandbox or playground in which we do it? Professional growth. So the way in which we work, what does that look like culturally in terms of values-based competencies and what do we expect of all employees and all employees at different levels and how do we grow you and ready you to continue on and grow? And then career progression. So within each vertical, what does it look like if you come in as a, at an entry-level position? And what is your career opportunity to stay here at Pinegate or Blue Ridge Power, our sister company? And then lastly, safety, because we are a solar developer and construction enterprise. And so safety has to be a massive focal point in, on the construction side. So those are the four main areas that I'm responsible for, all of the programs, people, and products that come out of that. We would love to get your thoughts on that in terms of you're the first L&D hire. How are you approaching this like a business? How can we maybe help somebody who's listening in terms of having to, to kind of take that on as well? So when I think about it from the standpoint of L&D like a business, in particular, when you're starting something from scratch, mm -hmm. initially, it's what's the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah. When you come in and you're building L&D for the first time, within an existing organization. I mean, just like any other GNA, L and D doesn't come first alongside, let's go do the thing that we're going to do. And so ever, never, ever, right? Like people and tech are always behind whatever it is that you're doing in terms of the product that you're putting out into the marketplace. So by the time you come along with L&D, there are some obvious needs that leaders already have identified that make them interested in wanting to build this support system within, within the company to begin with or the organization or enterprise or whatever you want to call it. So my first step is, why am I here? What do you need me for? What problem are we trying to solve? And what does success look like? How will we know when we've solved it? From there then is come and learn, help me understand what are we about? So what does success look like from the, the outcome standpoint? What are you gonna see? But what's it also gonna look like and sound like and feel like? How will you know that we've achieved it? L&D is never gonna have the success that it needs to have in and the longevity that it needs to have or staying power or whatever you want to call it by steamrolling. That's never going to get us anywhere because historically L&D is always going to be something that you have to do in addition to, unless you can build that into the things that you're doing. So what are we solving for? And what is the culture of our organization able to withstand in terms of the asks and the value props that we're making for people within that? So you mentioned uh, identifying the problem. Mm -hmm. And so much of L&D is helping people identify the problem. How do you do that? Two thoughts. What data do you have? 
start with what's the information that you actually have? What data do you have? And second, where are the pain points that are giving you the inkling for the action step that you need to take? So ideally you can triangulate, but data, for example, do you have engagement survey data where you've asked a pointed question around how do people feel about their managers? Are their managers invested in their growth? Do I feel that my manager has a, you know, pointed understanding of where I want to go and ways to support me in that in my career? Or I feel that the business is invested in my professional development. Like Those would be data points that you might have. You might also have data points around exit surveys. And if you're seeing a pain point of high turnover in a particular team or division or across the organization, what information are you getting out of people? If you are looking at the product standpoint or you're looking at production, where are the bottlenecks? What are the specific bottlenecks that you have? What's the impact of that bottleneck? If you're in a manufacturing space and you know that you have a particular bottleneck, what's the impact? Is it about distribution? Is it about capacity to produce? I mean, what? where are the pain points that you specifically have? Now let me help you solve for that. Is it because you don't have the technology? Is it because people don't actually know what it is that they need to do? There aren't clear expectations or alignment. Is it that your managers don't know how to actually lead their people? So first identify the pain point, then start to analyze what do we know that can help us think about what the appropriate potential pathway towards solution would be. What metrics have you found leadership kind of gravitate towards most and that other people need to focus on? In the year and a half that I've been with Pinegate, uh, there's nothing that I'm now yet done for the second time. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Every single thing that I have done <laughs> is still very, very new. So the bar is develop and launch, mm -hmm. develop, launch, implement, develop, launch, implement. And I am just now moving into a space where it's maintain and measure, maintain and measure. Perfect. So I want to be really upfront about what that is. Um, and quite frankly, that's a question that I'm asking myself and having that conversation with my team and my colleagues currently is if I had to pick a single reporting metric that I were going to give to my exec team, what would it be right now? And I have to tell you, I'm struggling with it. There are, and here are two reasons why. My obvious answer that I want to go with is impact. I want to mm -hmm. give the level three, right? I want to give the level three metric. I want to show impact. I want to be able to say, here's the current feedback when somebody is within the program. Here's what, what information I have. And by the way, 90 days out, here's how it has impacted their behavior. Mm -hmm. However, that's minuscule in the scope of how broadly our programs are potentially reaching people. Mm -hmm. Yet anything else is a gathering of baseline data. So I have how much have I produced? How many consumers has it reached? What's the completion rate? Those are all different pieces of data that for where we are in the maturity of our organization with L&D, it's really that gather to be able to analyze trends that's where I am right now. So 
that's the roadmap. That's where I am. Gather the data to be able to show trends and speak to the impact of those trends. Like, here's a trend that I'm seeing. What does this actually mean? So it sounds like to me, the way that you're talking about it, right, you're going to mature this over time. You're like flexing that muscle and you're building that consistency and saying, look, these are the things that I can report out today. How can we show our value to the organization? And then starting to consistently report that content to leadership. And then you can add more as you go. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. It is. So, I mean, right now in terms of program launches where it's something I'm not talking about, here's a course. I'm not talking about that. I am Mm -hmm. talking about, for example, this recent college graduate program or Mm -hmm. the, um, people managers, 12 week cohort program that, that we've built and implemented mm-hmm. the way that we're gathering data is in stack ranking activities and, or asking for value so that when we capture it, we can see it on a scale of most valuable to least valuable, or how is that rated against itself? So we're able to say, look, here's what we're learning. People really felt this, this, and this, but they also felt that this was really not worth their time. And here's why. So here's what we're doing about it. When you build those paths, those ideas, those concepts, how are you building in success metrics? You know, what does success look like? How do you report Mm -hmm. on that success? And then where do you go once you've succeeded? What is that? Are you building that in? Do you just (laughs) figure it out? Like we didn't think to get here. Well, it's really pretty funny because I was just thinking about the number of success metrics that I have that are like, it's been launched. (laughs) And so I was in fact just reviewing our Q2 (laughs) priority goals with my boss who's SVP of people and culture. So hi, we're reviewing what we said we were going to do in Q2. And there were so many of them like, it's been developed and lost. So again, it depends on the tenure of where you are. For for a perfect example of this would be, um, we're just two thirds of the way through a people manager development cohort. And so it's this 12-week cohort-based program. There are six specific skills. Those six specific skills are directly linked to our values-based competencies and the skills expected of a people manager. However, when I wrote out the outline for the proposal for this program, it was, here's what they were going to want to know. What are the objectives of the program? Who will participate in it? How much time on their part will it take? And what will it look like to be successful? The first measure of success was simply we actually did it. I mean, period. We did it, right? But beyond that will be looking at its impact, looking at the recommendation and the continued collaboration of this cohort across two companies. So there's not a success metric at this point other than it's gotten started. What I think we look at next is how are we revising it based on what we're seeing? So how can you tweak it? You know, once you've got your launch, do you have a V2? Do you have a V3? How does it change? And based on what? Is it still meeting the needs of the organization? I would love to understand how did you go about then thinking about all right, so who's going to be my first hire? You can't build everything yourself. I'm assuming you have some great help. You mentioned a team. How did you go about deciding, okay, this is what we need. This is kind of where we're going to go. 
these are the positions that I need to fill. Once you have the strategy and you've determined the priorities, my next step was to say, okay, what are my deliverables in the next 6, 12, and 18 months? Based on those deliverables, what are the skill sets necessary to be successful there? Which ones do I have myself? Which ones will we absolutely have to have in order to be able to deliver on these things, right? So the request for resource and the determination of what you need is based on what you've promised and been approved to deliver. So if I say, I'm going to configure an LMS and launch e-based onboarding and create the company and industry content, then what do I have to actually create in order to do that? Do I personally have the skill to do that? Is that my forte? And if that is my forte, what are the other things that we've also said in these other pillars? So in my case, my first hire was an instructional designer. It's not because I don't know how to design instruction. I mean, we've already heard I came from an education background, right? I can design instruction, but what is the highest and best use of my time right now as it pertains to broadly supporting the organization? And where can we get the most bang for our buck if we have somebody who can focus in a particular area? I had no e-learning background in terms of developing that. I knew that I did not know how to create e-learning coursework. I chose to con- to purchase and configure an LMS that did not require deep, deep, deep e-learning design capabilities so that we could expand our bandwidth, but that didn't mean that we weren't going to still have to create, 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 create. So that was the place that I went first. So that was my first hire. At the same time, in our sister company, so in Blue Ridge Power, they knew that they wanted to solve for workforce development. So that became then the director of L&D for craft field employees for this apprenticeship program. Once we had those people in place, then it was, okay, we're delivering on all of these different programs. Here are the high-level pieces that we're putting in play. What's next? What do we need to do? So to the point of we've gotten all these things up and running We've gotten these, you know, probably four, five, six different launched big ticket initiatives. What do we need to do next? Because we cannot continue to launch and implement if I'm the implementer of the design, develop, launch, implement, design, develop, launch, implement. At some point, there's no more capacity. So, my most recent member of the team who came on board is a a learning and development program manager. And so her role is specifically to now manage, maintain, and measure, and then help continue to revise existing programs that have already been launched. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, it sounds like a very common sense kind of approach. You know, this is what I need. This is what the organization is asking. These are the skill sets I have. This is where I want to focus my time. I'm going to hire an ID to do the development and I'm going to hire a program manager to manage now to sustain um, mm-hmm. these programs, which I think is a miss. I think a lot of L&D organizations focus on that launch. Let's launch it, but you have to be able to sustain it afterwards. Otherwise, you're not going to improve 
your experience over time. Are are you applying the same kind of thinking there like over and over again when it comes to budget requests and and resources as well? In fairness, we are non-traditional in that we are in the stage of maturity that we are as an organization. We've been very fortunate to have to be privately owned and be owner operated and have a very clear commitment to continue to invest in the business in order to grow. So we have not yet reached the place where we are deeply budget constrained. That's not to say that it's like, here, we're just going to give you all of the codes to all of the accounts and just take what you need. I mean, there is still a vetting process um, and a strategic thought on the part of the executives around where are we prioritizing and how are we forecasting and what does that look like relative to their three-year, five-year, 10-year goals? So what does that look like from an FP&A perspective? Therefore, here's what we can allocate. Now let's have people discuss what we're al- what they need from what's been allocated in terms of additional expense. But when they can, if you can justify it, they say yes. How do you think your past experience has helped you to navigate that. Do you think that those skills that you honed during that time helped you to build those types of relationships and have these conversations and get these wins? For sure. A hundred percent. Yes. The two kind of anecdotes or examples that I would pull out that I've used at times are around speaking the language of the audience and learning how to do so. And so you learn to tap into the motivation of the people that you're speaking to, and you have to be able to identify what motivates you versus what motivates you, also known as how do I speak your language to get you to do the things that I need for you to do because we're all going to be evaluated against them. If I'm speaking to my CEO versus my CFO versus my COO, what do I know about them? What do they need? And the same thing with my senior leaders and middle managers, how do I leverage that relationship basis so that I'm not really asking them for something before understanding what they need and trying to demonstrate what I can provide for them in their language? Having all this background knowledge of learning, learning theory, education, how do you battle misconceptions within the organization about how learning transfer works? You choose different places to flex different muscles. Mm -hmm. So here's an example. I had been at Pinegate for three and a half months, three months actually, when the CEO called me, hey, you got a second. Who says no, right? I'm pulling this team of senior vice presidents together on this Mm -hmm. date for two days. And here's what I want to accomplish. I want you to help me. Okay, great. Ben, I'm in. Let's do this. What are your goals? What are your objectives? I need a half an hour from you to unpack what it is that you want. And then I will put this together for you. So I did that. And then I spent an abundance of time, um, not an abundance, but a lot of time putting together two entire days of deeply structured, facilitated protocols and activities for this group of 20 senior leaders, executives and senior vice presidents. And there I show up in Asheville, the headquarters, then, you know, following week and, okay, let's sit down and run through this. And he's like, okay, 
So I can see you put a ton of time into this. And I want to take out the entire day too. And also, I don't like small groups. I want everything done in whole group discussion. I said, okay, that's fine. No problem. Here are the two things that I need for us to do. Mm-hmm. Because they were pieces that he wanted, but they were ultimately going to serve my needs in doing what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. So having put in the time, I could say, I am willing to be flexible about all of the rest of this. I want this piece. That one piece demonstrated skills and abilities that weren't necessarily what he would have gone for. I did something similar again at a different point in time with a different group of people. So that little by little, I was peppering my philosophy with different audiences Mm -hmm. so that they could see the distinction between we're going to talk in a whole group versus I'm going to diversify the types of conversations that are happening here and the ways in which it takes place and how much engagement will you get. Mm -hmm. So over time, I could demonstrate that without having to come in and fall over my sword with, I'm going to tell you, CEO, who ultimately signs my paycheck, that you're entirely wrong about what you want. I Instead, I'm just going to push for one small thing and I'm just going to show you over time until you stop arguing with me about it. It's just that simple. They only know what they know from their own experiences. So I walked into a culture where there was a very clear, throw everybody in a corner and have them figure it out. Like they're just mm-hmm. going to have to figure it out because that's how we did it. We were scrappy and we figured it out. And one of the pieces that I continue to bring forth is in particular, when you're in rapid growth mode, that's going to work for some of the people, but you don't have the ability for duplicability and communication of what it was that worked. Mm -hmm. If you can't codify the thing itself and then teach the skill, you can't actually ensure efficacy nor implementation. As you're making all these moves, even in that move with the CEO, where it's like, yeah, yeah, fine, but give me these two things. You're building wins and you're building your organization and you're building your reputation and you're placing yourself into good positions to be able to succeed. And it doesn't sound like you overstretch yourself. There's something for me in being able to stretch myself and being continuously challenged that and i mean this is a lear- a learning principle also it's bringing people right to the edge of their learning but not so far that they're falling off the cliff and i feel that in particular in the past two roles that i've had both here at pinegate and at croystone at the consulting firm that i had phenomenal leaders who were able to find that sweet spot and were ready to run with me as quickly as I could run, but also know when to say, stop and pause and look around, stop and pause and look around. And having the ability to find that pace and know when to refuel and take a step back and take stock and then be able to leverage that to think forward again It's the sprinting in stages in a marathon. So this has just been a 
fantastic conversations. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Like I echo John, it, it, it's been a great conversation. It was my pleasure. It was fun.